Here would be the question. What will I do with what I've been given? I mean, that's the real question as we go through life. What will I do with what I've been given? What will I do with a life that God has given me? What will I do with a life that God has entrusted to me? I made the observation yesterday uh, as we had the celebration for a little Bryce. I made this observation. The secret to life is to realize that life doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the master maker. It belongs to the giver of life. And so as we look at our life, People will oftentimes say, what am I going to do with my life? It's not my life. It's his life that's been given to me to steward and manage for his glory. And so as we jog through this journey, you'll see a lot of people that are just wasting their lives. Uh, Their lives are going nowhere. They have no purpose. They have no direction with their lives. And when you look at them, it's like, man, they're just wasting their life. And, And it's not theirs. They're wasting the life of God. They're not stewarding it. Then, then some will say, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to spend my life in a, in a, in a, in a real relevant way. So what, what does it mean to spend our life? We spend our time. We spend our money spending. What, what is the return? And then others you will look at and you will say, they're, they're really investing their lives in those things that make a difference. Jesus made the observation repeatedly that you're to invest your life in those things that will outlive you, those things that will last for eternity. Now, here's where I want to pick it up. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, hey, tell us, Jesus, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming? I mean, you're you're talking about you're going to go to this cross, you're going to be crucified. When when are you going to come again? What will be the signs of the end of the age? You know, we live in a world where people have made all these prophetic statements about when Christ is coming and all this. And the disciples are looking going, when are you coming back? What does this look like? When will we know that you're going to return? Jesus said, see to it that no one misleads you. In a culture of postmodern thinking, in a culture of false prophets, in a culture where many voices go out even under the name of Christ in evangelical Christianity. He goes, hey, 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 don't let anybody mislead you. Don't be tripped up. Pay attention to what you're listening to. Test the spirits. See where they're from. Then he says this. For many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many. Now pay attention. Pay attention to where you're at. Pay attention to what you listen to. Then Jesus begins to give these parables, if you will. These teachings, now it's to the disciples, these 12 are hanging going, how do we know? And every one of these parables that he gives building up to Matthew 25 is, be ready, be prepared, make your life count every day, live with urgency, live with eternity as the backdrop, make sure you're ready when the Lord says, give me back my breath. He talks about this future tribulation that will happen. And then he uses different stories about the temple will be destroyed. And then he says, uh, check out the fig tree. Then he uses this parable, if you will, of the ten virgins. And then he uses this one right here. This is a familiar text, but it's an often misunderstood text, starting in Matthew 25. Verse 14, it's like a man about to go on a journey who called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability And the master went on a journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents traded them, gained five more. The one who had received the two 
traded those and gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more, saying, Master, you entrusted me with five. I've gained five more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two. Look, I've gained two more. His master said, Well Done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many other things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. You reap where you did not sow. You gather where you've scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you now have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked and you lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter seed. Then you ought to have at least put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Throw out the worthless servant. Throw out the worthless servant into outer darkness. Be ready. Be prepared. You don't know what your last day is going to be. You don't know when the eastern sky is going to split. You don't know when Christ is coming. Be ready. Be ready. And now he lays out this teaching. Here's some principal thoughts I want to break down with you. Number one, here's a premise statement. Everything I have, everything you have belongs to God. Everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. He says it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and the master entrusted his possessions. Say this, say, say, say this with me. God owns it all. Say that. God owns it all. God owns it all. Here's the obvious. I brought nothing into the world and I will leave with nothing. Naked I came from my mom's womb and I'll go back the same way. And so one of the premise statements, we have to get this, is that everything you have, the very breath that you have, any gifts, abilities, passions, talents, anything you have belongs to to God. God has put us here for one reason. He's put us here to manage and steward. The word steward means to manage what belongs to another. It all belongs to God. Listen to the words of Isaiah. The Lord is God. He created the heavens and the earth, and he put everything in its place. He made the world. He declares, I am the Lord. There is no other but me. He rules with awesome strength. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed out the mountains? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his teacher or counselor? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good or best? No. For all of the nations of the world are nothing in comparison to him. Some translations say, we're just a drop in the bucket. Isaiah then concludes, to whom then will we compare God? So so when we look at who God is and who we are, we're left with the conclusion of Isaiah, woe is me. I don't measure up to you. You're God. You're in control. Premise statement, God owns it all. We're here as a gift. The fact that we're sitting in here today and we can hear and we can see and we can move is a gift from God. Everything you have 
belongs to somebody else. The one who created you in his image and redeemed you with his blood. The one that breathed breath into your nostrils and you became a living soul. I stop and I go, wow, I'm just to be a steward of what belongs to him. When I understand biblical stewardship, listen to this. When I understand biblical stewardship, it releases the grip of greed on my life. People that understand that it all belongs to the Lord, people that understand that they're mere stewards, they release the grip of greed. It's not about you. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's like, hey, I want to be a difference maker. I want my life to count. I want to live a a life on the altar as a living sacrifice. I want it to count. My heart then becomes free to trust God when I start to see myself only as a steward. My heart becomes free. My heart becomes free to trust God. As long as I say mine, as long as I say mine, it's mine, that I'm going to live life with closed fists. It's only when I start to release that God starts to pour new things in me. One of the fundamental things that we, we have to get our minds around is that stewardship is core behavior with the way we do life. Stewardship is at the core of my behavior. It's the core of my belief system. Everything, everything, my wife, my kids, my job, my life belongs to God. You would be wise to conclude the premise is that it's not yours, it's God. Now, here's the provision. God has given everyone at least one talent. God's blessed you. The word talent there is referencing money, if you will, but the word talent, as we look at it, can reference your gifts, your abilities, your passions, uh, the spiritual gifts that God's poured inside of you, uh, the experiences of life that you've got. I mean, all of these things, as I look around, they're mere just things that have been entrusted to me from God. To one person, he gave five, to another two, but he gave everybody something. God's a giving God. We can conclude that. So you came in here today, and not one person under my voice is giftless. Not one person sitting here today has nothing. Everybody's got something. Now, here's what we realize. Here's what we realize, that comparison is the death of contentment. I'll only walk in contentment with the Lord when I start to realize who I am, how he's made me, and why I'm here. But if I start to compare with somebody else, I can lose contentment. Now, I've never been asked to be on the cover of GQ magazine. Let me go ahead and throw that one out there. I've met some people, I'm like, man, that's a sharp-looking dude. Now, that, that just happens to be the way God made him. I got a big head, seven and three-quarter, one, one size, don't fit all. There, there's, there's setbacks with what I'm working with. You've got setbacks with what you're working with. But you've got gifts and you've got uniqueness and there's DNA inside of you that separate you and give you this uniqueness of who you are. Romans 12, 6, we have different gifts according to the grace of God. How did you get your gifts? According to the grace of God. Where did you get the personality? According to the grace of God. Why were you born where you were born? According to the grace of God. Why have you had the experiences that you had? According to the grace of God. It's just according to the grace of God. How did you get to where you're at? According to the grace of God. But we all have gifts that differ. Every person gets something. So as you sit here today, I don't know what your something or some things are, but God has entrusted certain things to you. You're not sitting in here with nothing. Now, here's the passion. So the principle is God owns it all. 
The provision is everybody gets something. Now, here's the passion of my life. God inspires me to use what he has given me. Let me say that again. God inspires me to use what he's given me. Now, we teach here, even when it comes to financial uh, stewardship, that whatever the law required us to do, grace inspires us to go much further than. Grace inspires me. So when I start to look, God's grace and his spirit inspires me to use what I've got. God's going to ask us this one day, I do believe. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the life you had? What did you do with what I gave you? The master, your creator, your God wants a return on your life. One day he's going to do an audit on our lives. The Bible says it's appointed a man to die and then stand before God, one day I'm going to give an account and God's going to say, hey, I want to audit your life. Now, I don't believe in the old Baptist stuff I heard growing up that when I get to heaven, there's going to be this video at fires and it's going to show everybody everything. No, 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 no. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you believe me? Did you have faith? Did you trust me? Did you walk in obedience with me? Did you desire the holy life that I'd called you to? What did you do with what I gave you? Here's what I believe. I believe greater the opportunity, greater the responsibility. Greater the opportunity, greater the responsibility. I didn't pick and choose to be born in a free country. By God's grace, I was not born in Mumbai, sold into sex trafficking by the age of 11. I was born here in this country. I was born in a country where there's tons of resources. As an evangelical, I can open up my Bible software on my computer and have 12 translations. Hebrew, Greek, Strong's, Vines, Spiro Zodiati. All this stuff is sitting before each and every one of us. I live in a world where there's great opportunity, but I also live here where there's great responsibility. We're going to be responsible for what God's exposed us to here. Some of us never pick up the word and we've got tons of scripture laying around in our house. Some of us never pray and God's saying, hey, 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 why not? You're, you're blowing this opportunity Makes sense? Some, some of us are forfeiting our lives by pursuing that which does not matter. When you've got ability with no accountability and availability or responsibility, it becomes a liability. And many of us sit here going, I've got this ability, but I'm not accountable and I'm not responsible. And I haven't even made myself available. And God goes, what are you doing with what I've given you? I'm not saying you've got to be a seminary prof. I'm not saying you got to take every class you can find on hermeneutics and homiletics and apologetics and all, but I'm saying God has given you all something. And I'm like, am I, am I being responsible with what God's given me? Do you know it is brutal to bury what God has given you? When you read this, the guy who buried what God gave you, you're like, that's brutal. The first man took what God gave him and doubled it. And he goes, hey, well done. Second guy. Took his two things, went out, doubled them. But the third guy did nothing. He just buried it. The man who received the one talent dug a hole and hid what the master had given him. Can I tell you something? He was cautious. He was conservative. And he decided he would play it safe. The master's response, he's boiling. You haven't even tried. You've done nothing. You've given no effort. You didn't apply yourself. And he says, this is sin. Apathy, laziness, refusing to engage. 
Jesus in, in this parable says, that's sin. That, that, what does he call him? A lazy and wicked servant. Listen, get this. Get this. In our culture, we would call a person wicked that murdered someone else. We would call people wicked that, who, who've been arrested for pedophilia. We would call people wicked for all these things. You know what Jesus said? When you have been gifted by me and I've entrusted me to you and you do nothing with it, you're not only lazy, you're wicked. Man, I'm studying this and pondering this going, that is heavy. I mean, we're okay with saying, oh, that, that dude right there is lazy. But Jesus doesn't call him lazy. Jesus says, you're a lazy, wicked. So that, that's evil. That's sin. When I've desired to do something in you. So here's, here's my conclusion. Doing nothing is inexcusable. I would rather fail doing something than to do nothing. I've had my lunch handed to me over the years. I have failed. The people that I admire the most are those who have failed but stayed in the game. I remember going out having games where this one night I was pitching. I, 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 I was pitching against the Blue Jays. And I'll never forget this. I was the closer. I'm going to close the game and save the game. I gave up five earned runs in one third of an inning. I couldn't have got my mama out that night. <laughs> it was like everything I threw was bam, bam, bam. And I had backed up more bases than were even on the field. I'm like, <sighs> and the coach comes out and he goes, <whistles> give me the ball. You ain't got it tonight. And I go, <laughs> you think? <laughs> and I remember you walk off the field just getting your lunch handed to you. And he comes up to me and says, tomorrow, save situation, you're getting the ball. <laughs> me? I'm getting the ball? I couldn't get nobody out. Get up. Do it again. I've been saved for about a year. Speak at this men's group. We want you to come and share. I'm like, okay, I've never done this before. I'm scared of public speaking. I took that public speaking class at Troy University and I was scared. I, I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden, I'm saved and come share your testimony. You got 20 minutes. Okay. I mean, I studied and I wrote everything down I knew. And I stood before these 30 men. And I spoke for five minutes, and I tapped out, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm done. And I felt like I flopped. And I'm like, I'll never do that again. So God goes, you can't speak, can you? I said, no. I'm dumb. I don't make any sense. I can't hold a thought. 30 minutes, I can't, I can't even speak. Five. You can't speak, can you? No. You think I can speak through you? I hadn't factored that one in. I hadn't factored in the but God equation. You ever get there in your life? 
And doing nothing is inexcusable. I would rather go out again and give up another five runs and compete than to sit there as a spectator eating nachos on my third beer and never work out. I'm just telling you the way I'm wired. I'm not saying you're drinking your third beer, eating nachos, watching the game. I'm not implying that if you're not playing, but here's the deal. I would rather compete and struggle than not get in the game. You know, as we talk about where we're at as a church, as we're talking about building this athletic field, as we're talking about moving into this next chapter, as we're talking about what God is really wanting to do with our body, with creating more uh, student facility space where we can grow. God is doing something here. I've had so many people say, man, I love the vision. Let me say this to you. I don't want you to agree with our vision. I want you to commit to our vision. The chicken agrees with breakfast. The pig is committed to breakfast. Chicken agrees. That would be good to have eggs. The pig is committed. Y'all going to eat bacon? Mm. It's like when you read the story of the prodigal, right, in Luke chapter 15, and the, the younger son goes out and raises hell and squanders everything, and he comes back home, and the older brother's got his attitude issues and all this stuff. You, you, you know who was the most disappointed person when the prodigal returned? Was the pig or was the calf? He said, go kill the fatted calf. And Cal goes, man, I wish you would have stayed out there a little bit longer. <laughs> but here's the reality. Here's the reality. A lot of people agree with scripture. A lot of people agree that Jesus really is Messiah, but they're not committed to it. We can talk about vision and direction and where God's wanting us to go. You've got to get committed if you're going to see movement. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Fear keeps people from trusting God. Fear keeps you from trusting God. Fear keeps you on the sideline. Verse 25, the guy said, I was afraid and went and hid your talent. I knew you were a hard man. I was afraid. I went and hid it. You know what the guy ultimately does? Jesus using this parable. The guy blames God for not doing anything. You are hard, man. You're a difficult man. You, you reap where you don't sow. He ultimately blames God, much like Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve had jacked it up, what did Adam say? I'm the man. I blew it. I should have intervened. No, God, the woman you gave me. Are you serious? And that's the same argument Jesus is using here. When you don't do anything, you ultimately blame God. Why? Well, I'm just not smart enough. I'm just not sharp enough. We've got doubters sitting in here today. I could never do that. I'm not qualified. That's not my calling. What is your calling? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies those that he calls. I had to learn that. It's like, hey, you don't know what to do? No, then I will train you. I'll teach you. The doubter has to die, the quitter. Oh, I, I, I tried that before. I tried to get involved. I was in a church. I, but, but it didn't work out. I got burned or I, I'm just not good at it. Can I tell you something? That would be like you looking at me saying, hey, I read the Bible one time, didn't make any sense. I'm not reading it again. Can I tell you, I've been saved for 30 years. 
There's certain texts that I get to even today that I read it. It's a problem passage. And I'm like, man, I ain't got a clue exactly what that phrase means or what that word means. And you know what? I just lay the Bible down and say, well, since I don't know it, ain't no sense in doing it again. No, I'm like, I got I, I to gotta know what this means. I've, I got to pursue it. I've got to dig deeper. And so many people, you just throw the towel in. There's two ways, two ways to approach failure. You either quit or you get up again and try. I love people that get up again and try. People that get back in the game. Failure is not final unless you empower it to be so. Failure is not final and failure is not fatal unless you empower it to do so. Well, why didn't you do anything? I was scared. I, 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 I knew you to be a hard man. What is God doing in your life right now? Not what has he done in the past, but what is he doing in your life right now? I want, at the age of 53, I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I do. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. I can look back over from the time I came to faith in Christ in 1985, 30 years. And I can look back over going, man, that 25 to 35 was pretty cool. And that 35 to 45 was pretty cool. But I'm not going to just relax and look in the rear view of cool things that God's done in the past. I want, starting today that the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life, that God is doing a new thing, a fresh thing, a desirable thing. I mean, that's where you've got to get. Now, last week we talked about this ladder, and we talked about giving, but really it's about living, and it's about growing. So when I look at this ladder, and we talked last week about how so many people, when it comes to the way they're living their life and even the way they're giving before the Lord, you've got a lot of people that just make up the, I rarely get involved, or I'm random with it. There, there's so many people sitting here today that when it comes to your word time and your prayer time and, and getting involved in missional opportunity, it's, it's just a rare part of who you are. You don't want to live there. There's a lot of people that, they're random, they'll do it occasionally, but they're not connected. They're not faithful in giving, they're not faithful in serving, they're not faithful in investing in others that are not faithful in the word. I mean, they're, they're random. You may pick up the word once a week or something and you go, but I'm not growing. And God wants us to get on the right side of the ladder when it comes to the way we love life. He wants my word time, my prayer time, my serving time, my giving time. He wants me to be regular and even radical with the way I do life. You know any radical people? You know any radical people? Check this out. You know who we normally label as radical? Those who are more fired up than we are. Somebody radical is a person that seems to be more in love with Jesus than I am. You hear people say that. Dude, you're radical. No, dude, you are random. <laughs> <laughs> radical (laughs) don't you hear that word at times you'll hear it in regards to sports fans or whatever dude radical radical about what but if God listen to this study the epistles (laughs) study from Acts 9 where Saul the antagonist is converted and becomes Paul the apologist 
Study from Acts 9, the radical transformation of this dude and those 12, 14 epistles that Paul writes, Galatia and Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth and Rome and all this. Can I tell y'all something? The apostle Paul lived, listen, listen to this. The apostle Paul lived the normal Christian life. We read like he lived this extreme radical life. Paul lived the normal Christian life. You know what the normal Christian life is? Repenting of sin. Violently denouncing the less wild lovers. Surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. Paul could then write, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That I might be conformed even to the likeness of his death. Paul lived the normal Christian life. You want to you, you see a dude that lived it? Then read the epistles. And I think oftentimes we elevate certain guys like they're up here. He, he was just normal. He just met Jesus, violently repented, and had a pretty cool assignment. That's who I am. I just am a guy that repented and met Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, and was just given an assignment. Go invest your life in other people. Here's the principle. Here's the principle again. What I don't use, I will lose. Take away the talent and give it to the other guy. God is calling each and every one of us to exercise, to maximize and to utilize what he's given us. God is calling each and every one of us to press in, dive in, and to be all that we can be. God has the right to take away anything in my life at any given moment. But here's the question. Whose life and whose hands, whose hands is your life in? I mean, that's where it really gets. My life in my hands is a disaster. A basketball in my hands is a fun little game of horse with Hannah and Caleb. And Steph Curry's hands is an NBA championship and knocking down threes at 40 feet. Whose hands? Same ball. Whose hands is it in? A golf club in my hand is a whack slice right and a hook job to the left and wondering why golf is a four-letter word. But in Jordan Spieth's hands, it's a green jacket. It's a massive Under Armour contract. Same club, it's just according to whose hands it's in. Whose hands is your life in? When you release you to him and you ask him to take over you and save you from you and to save you to him to become the Lord, the master, and the ruler he multiplies whatever it is we have when we put it in the right hands. Here's the prize. Here's the prize. Here's what I believe each and every one of us desperately desire to hear. His master replied to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of other things. You know what you did? You took what I gave you and you put it to work. 
You took some passions I put in your heart and you started serving people. You, you took some things I gave you and started distributing it. I started blessing you and instead of you going out and building bigger barns, you just took the surplus and started blessing other people with it. You didn't make it about you. So I'm going to give you more, I'm going to give you more, and I'm going to give you more. And my life has been shaped at the core through adversity. God has used adverse situations and adverse times in my life to do the greatest awakening inside of me. And when he crushes me and empties me more and more of me is when he starts to pour more and more of him inside of me. See, you become a candidate for the supernatural when you cease to function in the natural. And you've got to run out of who you are if you're going to run into who he is. All I want to hear one day is for the master to say, well done. You big-headed dude, man. You honored me. I know you couldn't find a habit. I got one for you. Come here. Welcome to a new journey. Those three words, I wrote them down. The applause, the reward, and the celebration. The applause. Well done. What will you hear? Well done? Or well intended? Or well then? I mean, we're going to stand before God one day. We're going to give an account. We really are. This is not a guilt like fear-based, this is a motivational thing to say, I'm going to stand. Well done. Good and faithful servant. I don't hear him say lazy and wicked servant. Look at the reward. I'm going to give you greater responsibility. You've been faithful. I'm going to entrust you with more and more and more. When you steward a little, you get more. And when you steward that, God continues to move us from here to there when we're faithful. Last one, celebration. Come and share the joy of your master. I mean, don't you look forward to that glorious day when you sit at the king's table and the banquet of the Lord is prepared and you're able to celebrate with your king that made you, redeemed you, led you, guide you, filled you? Come, come, come and hang out. So the question really is this. The question is this. What will I do with what I've been given. Will I use it or will I abuse it? Will I exercise and multiply what God is asking me to do or will I just push it to the side? God is desiring to bring about an awakening in each and every one of us. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. And it starts by surrendering and pledging your allegiance to Christ. The first step of obedience is saying, yes, I will follow the Lord and I will be baptized as a proclamation and declaration that Christ is Lord of my life. Then I will start to get involved in discipleship and, and all this small group growth opportunity. Why? God's going to just grow you up. He, he wants to grow you up. But you've got to get in the game and allow him to take over you.